Hey guys, my name is Kyle and Sarah, and I'm what most people describe as a restaurant guy. I have one purpose in this podcast and on all my social media platforms, and that is to do my part by sharing my experience and what I've learned in helping to reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. Look, I didn't do everything perfect. I don't have all the answers, but what I can share with you is my experience, what I did right, what I did wrong, and what I would do exactly the same. I'm also going to have guests on who are going to tell their story and help share some of their insight so that you restaurant owners and operators can learn from other people in the country, realize that you're not alone. A lot of these issues we all have had, we've all experienced, and collectively we can do our part to help make sure that restaurants continue to thrive in our communities and continue to be sources of uh, employment, places of gathering, and whatever comes in the future, we're all going to do it together. So this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening. recording all right well thanks for joining me today chef uh guys we have trevor bird here trevor why don't you tell me a little bit about uh yourself and uh yeah let's get started uh my name is trevor bird i have a restaurant in vancouver bc canada uh called fable that's farm to table put together so you know we, we do the trendy local seasonal cuisine where people come in for casual fine dining food um, we've been open for eight years. It's been wickedly successful. I have opened a second restaurant. I sold my shares in that second restaurant um, just because I was a bit overwhelmed. I started an online meat company uh, and I had a kid all within like three months of each other. So it was not- You're asking for it. You're just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, nice. So, I mean, it's great. I, I, I said I was going to introduce you as the chef owner of Fable and I didn't do that. So tell me a little bit about Fable and what it means to be farm to table in Canada. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, first I'll start off by saying, like, we, we're on the opposite end of you, right? We're on the west coast of Canada, um, north of Washington, Seattle. So our growing season is amazing, and we have access to so many cool ingredients out here. Um, you know, we'll still be getting freshly grown greens up until, like, the beginning of November. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be pulling in, like, avocados from California in like May, even earlier sometimes. So yeah, there's pretty, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very robust growing season. We have an amazing seafood selection out here. The ocean is literally like maybe 10 kilometers that way. Uh, so we get amazing albacore tuna. Our halibut is like off the chain. Good sable fish. Um, yeah. I mean, we have an amazing like produces all over us. So and you're, you're born and raised from that area? No, man, I'm from Montreal, so not too far from New York, Canada. Uh, like I, would, I, I always call it the East Coast, but it's guess, more central-ish, Central East. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up there and just started backpacking around, cooking everywhere. I started cooking when I was like 16 or 17. I don't know anything else. So, so you, you just jumped right into it. Was it a family business? How did you, at 16 years old, what was your draw? Like for me, I remember like wanting to help my grandmother and my mom. I just was something to be close to them, I guess. But how did you get started? Was there somebody in your family or what, what's your story? Well, I have a pretty, pretty good story. It's a pretty broken story. It's not like, oh, I love cooking. It was more like 
I was fighting for my life and it's just something I naturally fell into. So starting from the beginning, I mean, growing up, I came from a pretty broken household, uh, lots of violence, drugs, addiction, abuse, all the above, right? So I, f I, I think that what we're brought up in is, is the pattern is easily reproduced in the future. So, you know, when I was 16, I got kicked out of my house and, you know, I was in high school. I was still in high school, got kicked out of my house, had to work full time, had to make ends meet. It was, it was like I, I, I was an adult at 16 years old and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, I, I had a job at Boston Pizza, which is like a pizza chain up here, right before I got kicked out of my house. So that just like kicked into overdrive. And I was, I've been a super anxious person my whole life because I've always felt very unsafe, so to speak. You know, I'm always kind of on edge. So, I mean, what a, what a great formulation for a good cook that works really fast, right? So you, so you found like some sort of like zen in, in the cooking process or was this just like a way to get out of the house and get out of what you were? Yeah, day day. Zen would be a good way to put it. I mean, when I step foot in the kitchen, the whole world melts away. And the only thing you're focusing on is like that day, what your order is, what your mise list is and what you got to do. So yeah, it was a, it was a place for me to escape from the outside world. And then essentially as time went on, it was very healthy at the beginning because it was my, it was my salvation. But as you get older and go on and have relationships and a kid, it becomes toxic at that point. And you start to, I call it a hazardous passion where you start to let that overtake your life and you don't pay attention to anything else in your life except for cooking. And I'm sure you can relate to how overbearing the restaurant can be, especially if you don't have healthy boundaries and you don't, you're not confident. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of like, it, it starts to become like for some of those guys, like who go to escape, like what you're saying, they escape something negative if they jump into an industry like kitchen life, it's very easy to keep those same habits, right? I mean, that you work at night, it's not uncommon to go out afterwards, you know, where that leads, who knows? So how did you avoid that? How did you, you know, how did you avoid falling in some of those, you know, pitfalls that you were experiencing at home? Like given, given the scenario that happens in these restaurants. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I didn't avoid them at all. Like I was, I was up in it, man. I was, I was in it. I was deep in it. And, you know, I just took that shit with me throughout my whole career. Um, cooking in kitchens, I mean, it was too easy to have a community of people from that similar background because it's like, shit, hey, man, you can stand on your feet for 12 hours and work your ass off for 14, 16, 18 hours and like not complain like you're in, right? No, like we had no boundaries. And the thing is, is that the industry brings in all these people that have weak boundaries and the industry doesn't really teach you how to solidify good, healthy boundaries with work, with people, with anything. It's like, you just work until you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. And that's the model basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a wellness discussion, right? Like how do, and I, and I think this is part of the reason why I started the podcast too, because when I left the restaurant business, um, professionally i'm still an investor in a restaurant but when i'm when i was in it every day and then when i left i equated to like coming up for air i did not i it was like i didn't realize what it was like to be out on the street at four o'clock on a saturday or like see a sunset or go get a drink at like a happy hour after work like or that that kind of lifestyle it was it was like i i equated to coming up from underwater or when they have to be debriefed when you come back from like a war and like let these guys know what's really going on it's that, it's that much, it, it becomes who you are. 
it's not a job. It's every aspect of your life. Yeah. And I think in our, in our past, we write a lot of stories around that. Right. And, um, you know, like I, when I first started take, when I first had my kid, it took me about a year before I started to reprioritize my life a little bit, a little bit and realize that I had to go in a different direction. And I mean, I would sit at my, in my house on a Saturday night for the first year and just drink like 10 beers alone at like 6 PM with my family, like being around because I just didn't know how to handle that anxiety. I didn't know how to handle that energy because on Saturday night, you should be getting shit kicked. You should be with your team. You should be going down, like not having too much to do. So it's like that, that, that anxious energy has lived in your body for 20 years. And now you're just stopping that. I would say without professional help, that's a very hard thing to overcome. And I'll tell you what, so I, I um, have a couple of buddies who played in the National Football League. Uh, they played at big time colleges. They kind of were like NFL guys from birth, right? So they were surrounded by this. They were always like taught it as these great athletes. There were people asking them for autographs in high school. Then they kind of keep going up the ladder. And the league actually has a program for them to like, okay, when, when it's over, when like you get hurt and you're not a superstar and you have no place to go. And now you have to go find a job selling insurance or you buy a business or whatever the case is, is helping them get adjusted to, to the real world. So it's a, it's a real thing, you know, and that's, that's, that's a great point for um, chefs and, and anybody in the business who have been so consumed by it. Right. I mean, it's, it can well, be like a little bit of a shock. Yeah, man. Like, and I imagine with yourself that they're, they're, you know, I, I kind of look up to you because I think it's amazing that you, you, you said you were in the industry for like 20 years or something before yeah. you made that change. Yeah. yeah, man. And like, like I'm scared shitless to leave, leave this, this community, you know, cause it's all yeah. I know. Like, and right. I have so many stories built up around that. Right. Uh, that's, it's, it's like ingrained into who I am. And uh, yeah, you know, 23 years is a long time to be doing the same thing. So that being said, what I do love about our food industry is that you can go into so many different directions with it. Like, look at you, real estate, right? And uh, I mean, the the consulting. I mean, you could the the, it, the trails are endless. Corporate right. chef, you know, small independent chef restaurant. Um, and uh, so where I want to kind of take my direction is more so a uh, well-being coach here in Canada for people in the food and beverage industry. And that's try to help cool. Them, yeah, try to help the industry overcome their stories and beliefs around what they've done. Uh, to kind of help step away from what their identity is attached to. So now do you, are you, do you have any partners? No, I, I, re, I just bought my business partners out seven months ago now. So I'm solo. Partners are for dancing. Somebody told me. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, a great one, right? Uh, yeah. So, so you're doing the bookkeeping, the payroll, the purchasing. Are you still actively cooking on the line? Or are you more just like guy going through like a chef to cuisine kind of thing? Oh man, I'm like, I, you know, I've really, I've done a lot of work over the past couple of years with, with professional help, with my men's group. Um, and just to help, help me separate from that chef inside of me. Right. Uh, because I, cause like when you're, when you're coming up, you're like this with it, you know, it is, it is fused with everything you think is like, yeah. I am a chef and to, to be like, Hey, just because I'm the chef of a restaurant doesn't mean I have to work 18 hours a day. Try to convince that guy. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No. And that's, that's interesting though. Where does that come from? I mean, cause that's, it's really, that ideology is as old as the profession mm -hmm. and it's in that time. Like it's never gotten better. Like it's never, you know, it, obviously there are a lot of businesses that require, you know, 
immediate or uh, face-to-face -face customer interaction, you know, the, the transacting of giving a product and getting money for it. But in the hospitality industry, you're expected to be there for 16, 18 hours a day to execute on that. It's interesting to me now, just think about it, how that has never evolved. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, so I, I got a leadership coach maybe a year and a half ago now to help me through this. So um, where, not, where, where, where do you get a leadership coach? I'm a leadership coach. Yeah. Where do you find one? That's that. I just, yeah, you just, I'm sure if you just Google it, I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay. you know, like, because I do a lot of work on it. I mean, my, my whole Facebook ads, all it is, is like leadership coaching and, and industry coaching and corporate. It's crazy. Right. So um, okay. you can, they're definitely out there. There's no right. shortage of them. Okay. Uh, I would say the challenge is I've worked with quite a few. It's just finding the ones that resonate with you. Got it. So it's like, try one on, you know, and have conversations with 10 before you pick yours. Because right. uh, you'll, at different points in life, you'll be looking for a different, different, uh, motivation. Um, but yeah, so I worked with one and you know, the questions that he asked me that really stuck with me and I still ask chefs today is what's your definition of a chef? So if you're to actually sit down and write out a chef is, and my, my story around a chef is that he's there 18 hours a day. He's doing all the ordering. He's doing all the, the production. He's, you know, managing the kitchen. And then after I, I, I like looked at it, he, he, it was as simple as what do you think Gordon Ramsay does? Or what do you think Jamie Oliver does? And he, those are big, way bigger names, but like, what, what do you think? I don't know what the chains are in New York by any means, but we have some chains here at Cactus Club, Joey's. He's like, what do you think the chef of Joey's is? He's like, he's definitely not cooking online. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, right. You so know? yeah, that's, that's a good point too. It's like those corporate guys, you know, they get the, I don't know about how by you, but here they get, you know, they're clipboard guys. Yeah. You know, they go around here's the recipe. You know, I mean, granted, you might lose a little creativity, but you're still connected to the food or, you know, who knows how, how big you are. If you're a Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay, you have that corporate feel. But, you know, um, it, does that bother you or do you feel in, like, is there an uh, in-between between the clipboard guy and the guy who's working 16, 18 hours a day? Or are you trying to figure that out right now? Well, I mean, I'd say it, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Like I, I, I definitely don't work in my restaurant that much. I, I am a big fan of empowerment to mm -hmm. the team. Make sure your team has all the tools they need to succeed, set them up, have regular meetings with them. But as far as execution goes, like I'm very, I'm, I'm not the day to day guy. So you must have a tremendous staff. Yeah. Or at least one solid right hand guy or girl. Uh, I have a, I have a chef who is a lovely person. He's like my right hand in the kitchen. Um, I meet with him two to three times a week for an hour. We sit down make sure that he has everything. He's got all his staff set up. Uh, and I have a floor manager that does all the floor managing. And I have an operations manager during the day that does all the ordering and all that kind of stuff. And really, they, they, they're amazing people. They're beautiful. They need very little from me. Uh, but when they do, I'm there for them. Nice. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an, another thing. Not many chefs can check their ego like that and delegate so much out there. You know I mean? I delegate so much to their staff rather. I think that's so many want, you know, Hey, my name's on this place. I'm going to be in control of every little thing, but I had a guest on last week and he, he was in the franchise business, but he had 15 Jimmy John's, which I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're like a sandwich chain. And uh, you know, the concept still applies. He's like, I can't, I can't do what I can't have two Jimmy John's. If I have to be in every single one, I have to let the leash out. But so many chefs, when they are making these signature dishes or whatever the case may be, they're just afraid to let the reins out because they're afraid that that person might get more clout than them or who knows what. I hope my chef gets more clout than yeah, me. That's he, the attitude. That's he's, what he's, he's busting his balls out there. And like, man, if he gets some good shit, like, 
give it to him. So yeah, I, right. yeah, yeah. My brand, and when it's time for him to move on, hopefully I can invest in him. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the attitude, right? I mean, that's so many guys have the opposite attitude. And I think that keeps them. That keeps them as much as they think they're keeping control, they're actually losing control of their own life because they're stuck now to this brand and they don't get it. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I don't know about what's going on there in Canada, but in the States, the big conversation right now is around uh, the minimum wage increase and how that's going to affect restaurants. So it means even tipped employees now potentially are going to be being, being paid $15 an hour. Um, so what's your minimum wage right now? It varies by state. Um, here in New York, it's just under $10 an hour. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's for, you know, for cooks. Tipped employees, I think, are a little bit less. I could be wrong on that. But it's definitely less than what the minimum wage is for the hourly uh, workers. But they're talking about, you know, a, a higher minimum wage here. And a lot of restaurants are, are scared shitless because they don't know how they're going to be able to keep their doors open. Are you guys seeing something similar to that? How do you guys, is there a different pay system up there? Yeah, I think it's global economics, man. But like you guys saying that you're under $10 minimum wage, like that's, excuse my language, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like our, our minimum wages, uh, I think are 1385. Wow. For so, tipped employees? What's that? For tipped or like cooks and... and uh, Cook, like cooks and everything, but I don't pay any of my cooks. The least my amount one of my cooks makes is like 1350 no 14 and then i might generally like my average cook makes makes 17 okay yeah so mm -hmm. it's like we're already dealing with that and they're they're pushing up the minimum wage yeah. it kind of screws us on our server side but right. i mean you know it, it definitely pisses me off and what we're dealing with here in bc because we're a province our, our things shift by province right um we have to pay everybody's health care tax now which is an extra twenty thousand dollars a year for per person no, no, no. For, oh. for, like overall payable for the year. Got like, it. Okay, that's you. still a lot, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge restaurant. That's still like, right. you know, 20% of my gross at the end of the year. It's still like, what the hell? Like, come on. Oh my God. So yeah. how do you guys make, so is tipping the same up there? Do, what, how do your guests tip on the average check? Is it? Uh, it's really funny. It's uh, so so our, our, our debit machines used to be like, you know, 10%, 15%, 20%. Now it's like, 20 25 30 and it's like come like why the hell am i gonna leave 30 percent like yeah. jesus man that's yeah. crazy but yeah our, our tipping culture is huge um vancouver is the most expensive city in canada maybe next to toronto arguably like i don't know who's more expensive <laughs> but um yeah I, I we need tips to make my restaurant want run well right so the other thing we're seeing here is some chefs are implementing a kitchen share surcharge have you heard about this i saw that so it's like three percent of your food sales are going to go directly to the kitchen the you know danny meyer tried that whole no tipping thing and it's to my knowledge not working out i know here in my local market i'm just north of new york city about 20 minutes north of the city there have been two chefs that have tried this three percent kitchen share i think they're facing some brushback uh, I don't know that's a long-term solution. I mean, would you ever consider something like that to kind of keep that equality between the front of the house and the back of the house? Yeah, so what we do up here is uh, we do 3% to the, the, the support staff, and then we do 5% to the kitchen. Of the total tip for the night? Uh, food. Food. 5% of food goes to the kitchen. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my staff, like I would say, I, I mean, I think that we have an incredible kitchen culture. Mm -hmm. um, my staff have all been with me since the buyout because when I bought my partners out, there was management that was there. Uh, transition is always up tricky. It's always tricky. You know, people are going to believe in you. People aren't going to believe in you. Yeah. But, you know, since I, since the transition happened, my whole team has been with me that whole time and I've hired a couple of new guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean like we pay, we, I, I think we pay very well. Like my, my guys will make like, after all said and done, probably about 20 bucks an hour, 22 bucks an hour. Yeah. Now is that standard or is that better for, for like that area? In, in casual fine dining, it's, right. it's standard up in Canada. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you're, you guys are facing the same things we got going on. Are you, now your restaurant's more traditional sit down service, right? Course and everything. So you don't deal too much with any third party deliveries. Do you guys have that in Canada as well? I feel like I'm talking I'm, about another planet, but like, it's so overwhelming here. A lot of this stuff. I'm just curious if it's just us or is it actually a global I've epidemic? I've been, I've been reading some blogs and like some, some posts and talking to some Americans about it. And a guy came in from like DoorDash. I don't know if you guys have DoorDash down yeah. there. But yeah. like he was saying that like in the States, you guys do 2 million. He does like DoorDash does $2 million a day in revenue in the U S. I mean, sounds about, sounds very yeah. feasible. Yeah. Crazy shit, man. Crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it takes me a year to do 2 million, you know, <laughs> 2 mil a day. Like that is nuts. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The, in my restaurant, I don't do it because I'm, I, I still haven't broken it. I just don't think we have like sable fish is not going to do well in a, yeah. in a box. You know what I yeah. mean? Medium rare steak is that sliced isn't going to do well in a box. Like, no. And they're going to get in the onion rings, like the tempura, you know, it's not, yeah. really it's not the same thing. No, I, I would. And I think that for restaurants like yours, both here and, and um, both by you in, in Canada and in the States, it's going to be a tremendous white space for them. I think they're going to hold the line. Like, no, this is what we do. We don't deliver. And I think it's going to be, people always need a place to go on a date. Uh, Valentine's day is coming up. We're going to need that engagement celebration. So I respect the restaurants like, you know, for integrity purposes, like we're not going to do it. And now, now that being said, I mean, you know, I don't think there's any restaurants here that, because I know that in the States, there's some restaurants that when you're building one out, it's like, where's your delivery window? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Well, you know, what's happening is a lot of these restaurants are, so let's say the bigger ones like Chipotle are building in, and even some independents. So the concern here was, so now this is a real estate conversation. These guys are going to be taking smaller spaces, Right. So they were 3,500 square feet. Now they only need 2,000. Well, now it's like, well, no, now they maybe need 3,000 because they're adding more space in the kitchen. So they're going to have a line set up for, to serve their guests in-house and then have a line set up that just handles takeout. So in addition to that, there are separate entrances for these Uber DoorDash. There are now racks by the door that'll just be like, you know, A through H. And then you, the bags are put there. You just walk in and grab it and take it. Uh, but those are more QSR kind of setups. So like the Chipotle's, Sweet Green, things like that. But yeah. you are seeing some of the mom and pops trying, you know, how do they compete? Because now, like when I came up, you know, Subway was not a competitor of the restaurant that I worked at. You know, there were the QSRs were Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, Subway, and they were definitely not considered on par with what we were doing. So, but now they are. And like places like Dig In, which I'm not sure if you guys have, are offering, you know, real grains in clay bowls 
and, you know, beet salads and kale and pickled, you know, onions and very chefy type stuff at 13 bucks for a plate. And it's ready in like three minutes. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a threat to the mom and pops. I think some of the bigger boys are figuring out how to adapt and they're creating concepts to compete head on. Yeah, uh, but it's a whole new environment for sure. I mean, I think you got to adapt or die, right? You got to, you got to move with the changes. You got to move with the times. I mean, I'm going to hold on into my restaurant until I have to figure something else out or until, until I need to do something else. But I mean, I think the guys that are doing it are smart, like in the modern, in modern, you know, the mom and pops, even though you're small, you almost have an advantage at that point though, because you can figure out the systems within your four, four walls where at Chipotle's or something else, it's like, shit, you got to change your whole business model over thousands of stores which sounds yeah. like in the ass to me so oh yeah yeah that's a good point I never thought of it like that but yeah i mean that's it's like anything else it's a decision should you do it for, is it right for your business i think that too many people are like yeah we do grubhub uber eats doordash uh postmates and you have five ipads sitting at your station and it's just a little that too much crazy. that sounds yeah. crazy i mean and, no. and, like i'm gonna say that opening a qsr at one point for me sounds attractive like i definitely like that business model and i think it makes sense Right. I mean, the amount of cost there is in, in a, in a full service restaurant is overwhelming. It's insane. Right. Well, a lot of these guys are doing the stuff where, so you have a farm to table restaurant and let's just say maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, not so busy. You have one guy that you're dedicating to making, you know, Trevor's tacos or whatever. And he's doing a whole separate menu out of his little corner of this kitchen um, that only exists online. So it would be like Trevor's Tacos and there's no address, there's no anything. And these guys sitting at home like, oh, I want tacos. What's this place? Oh, I know Chef. I know him. I'm going to click on this. And then that's just going out the back door and your guests in the front don't even know what's going on. And you could toggle it on and off whenever you want. So Friday, Saturday, you can focus on your guests. But in-house, you could do a totally different concept out of the back. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's happening. There, there are guys actually taking warehouse type spaces, and it will be like sushi, pizza, sandwiches, salads, protein shakes. I've, I've heard of it, like ghost kitchens, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know if it's here to stay, but I think I like it as a cool little one-off concept, like as a, as a concept. I mean, low. Overhead. I think it's. I think it is going to be here to stay because, like in Vancouver, we have so it's just a, a tech-driven industry here. Yeah. And they they employ you know two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand people. Uh, Amazon, Microsoft, Twitter, yeah. uh, Twitter, um, and they're all local here. So, like, yeah, all those guys. I mean, they work their balls off because we have these ridiculous labor laws where you don't have to pay overtime in the in the tech industry. So these guys work like eighteen hours a day, and they're they don't they they're so deep in it they don't want to leave their desk, so they just order all this stuff constantly, right? But that being said, I don't know what the revenues are in Canada. Uh, some restaurants do really well with it. Like, I'm going to say like. Some of my friends have like fried chicken joints and stuff, and they probably do like a thousand a day to maybe fifteen hundred a day, which is like pretty good in my eyes. But like, right. nobody, nobody's absolutely crushing it that I've heard of. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it here, particularly in big cities like New York, it's a way to get around. Um, you know, the the when when you do the one concept out of the same kitchen, it's a way to kind of like double up on your revenue. Where rent is really expensive, I mean, looking at like a hundred dollars a square foot in some of these places in the city. And that's that's crazy. Like, I don't know. That scares the shit out of me. I don't know how you'd make a restaurant work at that, man. Well, what, so what do you guys, where do you target your rent to be in terms of your gross sales? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the golden number you're going for is five. 
anything wow. under yeah. 10, you're, you're doing good. But at 10, it starts to get a little risky. Anything mm -hmm. over 10, don't bother. Right. Okay. So that's about the same. Yeah. Five is five is aggressive. We like to say between six and eight. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm saying like five is like your, your goal. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's where your margins just like take off. That's interesting. And we're, and we're like where I have, I, I'm in a pretty prime location. We're in like a little space called Kitsilano, which is a five minute drive from downtown. Um, Cause you have like your downtown core and Kits is like a little suburb down here over a bridge. And like, it's a prime real estate location. And like, we pay $43 a square foot. It's an old building. Mm -hmm. um, and I know some, like we, we pay the second or third highest rent on our block and the guy on the corner pays like 55 and it's definitely, okay. but that's that's, but that's you know, to be honest, that's, that's about what it is here for the suburbs of the city is yeah. you pay, but it's almost half, you know, when I say hundred dollars a square foot, you're talking about prime, prime New York city locations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is necessary evil, I guess. Right. Yeah. So yeah, like, like, like EMP would pay like a hundred dollars a square foot. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They are, well, they're probably, yeah. Yeah. Of course they're in, they're in Madison park. They're in a, they have a bigger space. So maybe they're paying like 85, but okay. But yeah. That's still but, crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So that's why you've seen a lot of these 1500 square foot spots, but still those numbers are astronomical, but you make up for it in the volume. Mm -hmm. So, um, 8 million people living in a city, you get a little bit of foot traffic. Um, so where do you see this all going? I mean, this is more, there are more things coming at the restaurant owner every day than I was ever aware of even four years ago. Where do you see this whole thing headed? As in our industry? Yeah. Well, I can only speak to Canada really, but I mean, as an overall, overall, uh, I mean, I, I, it's going to change the way we eat food. And I think with the, I, you guys must have labor shortages down there. Totally. Well, that, that's my argument is I think these Uber Eats and Grubhub and all this stuff are taking away some of the restaurant workers, but that's a whole separate podcast because these kids can make $200 a night and not have to wash dishes, yeah. you know? So yeah, that's sure. thing, I think, but yeah. But yeah. Again, I mean, that's the importance of, of having a, a business and a culture of like highly empowered people that really feel good about where they are. Yeah. And it's so easy to be um, in our, in our industry and just treat everybody like shit. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's like, you know, it's like, oh, why am I going to be here? I'd rather go ride my bike and listen to music than have like be in a place that's cool to hang out with people that are motivating you and feeling good. And like, yeah. oh, man, it's great to be here. So, the, you know, the, the way the whole industry is going, in my opinion, it's like our, our, our culture is shifting. Um, like I said, it's like get with the times or you're going to die. Um, and I'm not saying I have the answers or anything. I need to get with the times as well. Like casual fine dining. I mean, we, we had 12 or 15 restaurants, like pretty big name restaurants. And for us in Canada close, uh, like last month. Wow. It was in the news. It was crazy because they made us pay the health tax. Restaurants are like, fuck this. Like, I can't this is too much. Yeah. Right. Right. And no, no point in even trying to like, you know, you're lucky if you're a restaurant owner and you're pulling in like a hundred K, you know, which is like, I'm sure you, I'm sure you need way more than that to live in New York. You, so, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's unfortunately here, um, you know, about where some of these guys end up, but uh, it's definitely not enough for like to raise a family on or anything like that, for sure. Totally, right? Which is nuts. Like, yeah, insane. You'd be like, I used to be like, man, if I could make 100K, I'd yeah. be sweet. And it's like, no, you're not. No, nope, not sweet. Not an exact. <laughs> So your plans for your restaurant is to kind of keep the course or what's, what's the plan there? Are you going to be, um, 
Well, how, yeah. how do you, where do you see this restaurant in the next five years? Uh, I'm definitely looking at other projects in terms of buying other restaurants because I, I, I feel, I feel very confident now in running a very happy, successful team where I don't have to be completely involved in it. Right. Um, I've set up the systems that really work in the business model that really works for me. And that's all that really matters. Um, and I'm looking at other projects and seeing how I can grow. And I mean, I have a, I have a goal that I want to reach 10 mil in revenue in the next five years. So, you know, I'm at two now, just got to, just got to keep on trucking and make yeah. it go up to 10. So, um, but with that, what I'm super passionate about is the empowerment work and consulting and making sure that all the teams have what they need. So what I'm actually looking at doing is, uh, have you ever heard of the term mastermind? Yeah. All right. So uh, basically set up an industry mastermind for uh, different tiers and you would have restaurant owners, uh, business owners, food, food and beverage owners of whatever. It doesn't matter if you're a food and beverage and you're an owner, you're in this tier. So a mastermind for that, a mastermind for managers, leaders, bartenders, GMs, and then a mastermind for entry level, you know, cooks, chefs, servers, bartenders, whatever. Yeah. So what I want to do is take this model and create like groups of 10 people per mastermind. Uh, and a mas all a mastermind is, is in my definition of it, is this safe space where people can share openly about their struggles and challenges. Right. Yeah. Um, 10 heads are always better than one. Right. 10 walks of life are always better than one. So right. the idea is you have a mediator um, or a facilitator, somebody that can kind of get people into the questions, kind of stewing. And it's like, basically like create a trusting environment where people can bring in their vulnerability. What are they struggling with? What are their challenges? And then how are we going to come up with an idea around it? Because I mean, you know, just between me and you, I'm sure we could give some 26 yeah. year old kid a plethora of shit to deal yeah. with his challenges. Well, you know, that's interesting. Cause I, I talk about the same things that even in what I do now, because you know, working with like a guy like yourself, you tell me you want to get a 10 million a year. We want to help you find, you know, your next five locations. That's what I do now. But my real passion, I think my value that I bring to clients and, and that is, I can help you not make some of the mistakes that I made. So whether yeah, that's, that's and not even just from a real estate perspective and what I, where I feel of that is, you know, I look back at myself and I'm sure you have the same experiences. Why didn't anybody tell me this? Or like, there's nobody around, like other restaurant owners aren't going to be like, Hey, what are you doing with this? I saw you're using that vendor. Don't use that guy. You know, like it happens, but at least here in New York, it's held very close to the vest. Like this is where I find my staff. This is my vendor. This is my merchant processor. This is how I plan my day. So yeah, I like, I like where, where you're headed with that because I say the same thing. There's everyone's going through the same thing and there's no reason that anybody has to do it twice. Yeah, man, for sure. And I, and I, I would, I guess like I'm, I'm an open book and I'm very like, I love sharing and educating people. And I guess that some people are very closed off about their information and don't want to share it or they're ashamed of their struggles and they don't want to share that either. You know, like, like not giving your challenges a voice is only holding you back. But you know what? Have you ever done any consulting? Have you ever done any like one-on-one? -on -one? How many times have you given directed, here's what you need to do. And then they don't do it. So well, it's like yeah, so I mean, much of that stuff is like, you're, people are so afraid to give it away, but they're not going to do it anyway. You yeah. have to go out there and that's your job is you're going to keep, you're going to say, Hey, don't, don't pay these guys this, or don't set up your, your training like this. It's not going to work. They're going to mm -hmm. be like, okay, you're right. Yeah. It's eating too much of your day, but then what happens? They go back to it. But it, it's, so it's just, yeah, I think it, being it, genuine it, who you are. 
it's the default mode network, you know, people don't want to change and that's the fact and, yeah. and implementing changes is, is a challenge and you're going to lose people. You're going to lose, you know, it, it's a challenge to really, um, get people to see a different perspective because we are all solid in our beliefs and we are ingrained into this is what works. We can't change. And, and whether we know it or not, we don't want to change. And that's right. like human nature. So with that, I never like to give advice. I think it's always about speaking from experience and making sure that's like, that's well communicated of like, Hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but you know, in my personal experience, this is what's happened. Yeah. And you know, like what they want to do with it is up to them. And my favorite, my favorite analogy for that is like a guy walks into a bar to get a drink and he sits down at the bar and there's a guy sitting across from him and he's talking to a banana and he's like, what the hell is that guy doing? So he orders a drink, has a drink and the guy's still talking to the banana. He's like, what the hell is that guy doing? So he's two or three drinks in. He's like, I'm going to go talk to that guy. He goes and sits down and be like, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. The guy's like, the guy's like brushing him off. And he's like, sir, you know, you're talking to a banana. And he goes, what? I can't hear you. I'm talking to a banana. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can only, you can only deliver the message right. and what they do with it is not your problem. Right. And I think that that's like, I think chefs in particular, I can say that. <laughs> um, or don't take to that stuff so well. You know, it's like yeah. my football coach used to say, you know, when you're hitting yourself in the head with a hammer, it feels good to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm watching you do this and maybe there's a better way. And like we were talking about earlier, it's just unfortunate how some of these guys, I mean, you know, the, there are ones who, are, who haven't figured out, but for the most part has been defined by these long hours uh, I have to keep doing this. I have to be here. They're not going to be able to. That's your definition of a chef. Like what is a chef? And that's why the preliminary work is unsticking yourself from that identity and realizing yeah. that you are so much more of a person than a chef. Yeah. And it's great to be a chef, but you are a father, a husband, yeah. a love person, you know, and like, yeah, you cook and you're good at it and you can, you can be a chef, but you are so much more than that. And everybody is. And I think that, that man, that's a great point. I think that that mastermind is helpful too because it's a group of people. It's like a support group. And I know it sounds crazy, but like I talked to enough restaurant owners and enough restaurant operators to know that, you know, we could all use a little insight here. You're all kind of grinding away your day to day and think that your situation is unique, but the guy next door to you has the same problem. And maybe you guys can figure it out together if you would just talk to each other about it. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm not saying I have it figured out. It's like, I'm struggling just like everyone else. Right. right. And that's, that's another lesson. It's like, I'm not speaking from the mountaintop here. I'm just telling you what I've experienced. I've got 20 years on you. Maybe I can lend some advice. Yeah. You can take it or not, or not. So these masterminds you have set up, is this something that have you, is this implemented yet? Or is this just an idea on paper? Um, I have one mastermind group so far and I just did a, uh, like a, a cultish personal development thing this weekend. I don't know if you guys have it. They're called landmark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. So I tr I just tried it out to see what it would be like. Fantastic program. Like I just wanted to get some more insight into what their systems are into terms of personal development, leadership development. And there's a uh, lot of like whys, right? Like getting into the whys. Like why did you do that? Why did you do like a lot of that stuff? More so dismantling your past beliefs. So there's something that happened, and then you have a story that you made of what happened. And when you can see those two things separately, you can really step into your full power, which is, I'm not, I mean, I spent 40 hours trying to learn this shit, so I can't. You're I still can't downloading it. it. Yeah. But um, when I was in that group, there was a space for some creative thinking and like, I, I just mapped it all out this weekend. So it will be like, I have one group right now with 11 guys in it. 
Um, and I just figured out how to scale it and make it work for the industry. And I'm going to be working on it in all my free time until I can actually pull it together. Cause that is like a straight passion project that I just really want to execute that I'm lit up by. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to go down that road and, and see what happens from there. That's a fantastic idea. I can, I can help you start the New York Northeast chapter if you'd like. Yeah, slick, man. Nice. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it, that's what it is. It, it, it's just getting together and then having those conversations and talking it out. But you know, yeah. the, you know the excuse is going to be like it's going to have to be like on Mondays, and then like I can't <laughs> because like I need somebody to cover me. At the rest of the oh, totally right, <laughs> totally. And I mean, yeah, and and that's kind of the challenges that I that I expect. And it's it's going to be once a month per group. So hopefully, the people see a benefit to investing in their staff to do this. And yeah, I mean, that, I mean, so as I said, I'm just going to throw shit at a wall until something sticks. Absolutely. Right? So. That should be the tagline. Like if, if you can't make it, that's the exact reason why you need to come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But you know, that, that I always say that for these guys who like that I talk to and they're like, I want to open up another location. And my thing is I say, can you spend two weeks away from your restaurant without anybody calling you or buy, or can, can that happen? If not, I don't want, we can't talk. <laughs> you're not ready. And you're not, you're like a year away from being ready. If you commit to it today. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's, it's so just, good. So um, like, like in my experience, I opened, uh, like we had, like we, our, our restaurant's pretty successful. So successful <laughs> in one term definition, we had a investor come in and be like, Hey, I have a space. I want you guys to come in and like open a fable in our space. So I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty young. I, at the time I was 32. So it's not like I have a ton of capital, you know, I'm, right. I'm up my whole life and you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know how it is. I do know how it is. <laughs> So uh, I, in order for me to get into that restaurant, I had to take out a loan from the guy that owned the space. So we did that and the, the build went 100% over budget. Oh, shit. Like it was, it was, a, it was a shithole, an absolute shithole. We had to gut it and rebuild it. Wow. So I took out a loan and I thought the, our budget was 700K. So this we'll have a little bit of business talk of like, don't do this. Cause like, yeah. uh, oh, no, this is great. Real numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I want to stroke your ego here because I got super inspired by watching your Instagram page and like how you communicate things and like shit. It's so beneficial to oh. guys like looking to get into the restaurant industry. Like amazing job. Thank you. Um, so yeah. So we had 700 K budgeted and we're like, okay, great. We're going to open up a diner. We called it fable diner. We're going to open up a diner for 700 K. Um, by the time we gutted it, we spent 700 K. And then we needed to build everything in it, put a kitchen in. By the time we were done, we were at 1.4. Holy shit. So, you know, the, 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 the guy that owned the space was, was the bankroller. Like, we got, he was just, like, pumping money into it. He didn't give a shit. The guy's, you know, more money than – he doesn't give a shit about anything. Yeah, he needed so like, to write yeah. Get the best. Get the best. And it was like, I just saw my, my loan, like, going up and up and up. And I'm like, hey, man, like we had to talk and like this loan's not going to work because it, it's just too high. So he's like, okay, well, we'll drop the interest rate from 8% to 4%, you know, and hopefully we can make something work. I'm like, we're going to be a diner. Like we're not selling like $10 million a year. Yeah. You know, like we all agreed on a diner concept that's already like designed that we yeah. paid like $100,000 just to do that. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I saw it between a two and $3 million restaurant a year and at a 4% interest rate on 1.4 mil. No. Work. Like, 
like I, I, I couldn't sleep at night for so long. And like, as I said, I had my kid like within the month that the restaurant opened. Dear and, God. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, I, I wouldn't see a paycheck out of that place for a decade. And I just don't, I, and like, if I took any, if I took that, like I took a $400,000 loan to go in with my partners on that. Like if I put $400,000 into anything else, yeah, really, I would see a way better return than yeah. the 10 year paycheck of $1,500. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that space is, is that open and operating or you, that's not the one you're not connected with anymore? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the unfortunate thing there, like just to give you some more insight into like how, how names get split up and how, how partnerships can kind of not fall apart, but just change and things evolve into things you don't want to. So we have, I have Fable Kitchen, which is like the, the casual fine dining. People know what they're like, Fable. Oh my God. It's so, it's so good. It's like fancy. Brand. Yeah. You go there for an experience. And then you have Fable Diner, which is a diner. You know, it's good, but it's a diner. It's seven in the morning until midnight. Right. And I never, with my partners, I was like, I never wanted to call it Fable Diner ever. Yeah. I was like, we it's need separated. to call it, you know, separated. And I never had intentions to it, but it's just like, I didn't, I just, some, my intuition was telling me don't call it Fable Diner. Um, I lost a shareholder vote and I was just like, okay, three against one. So I guess we call it Fable Diner. Uh, and wow. then we know we opened it for 1.4. It didn't sit right with me. Uh, I approached my partners was like, this really isn't working for me. And they're like, great, we'll just buy you out. They were super gracious about it. Like there's no, no animosity whatsoever. That's good. Yeah. They were like, great, here's your investment. back, And they even gave me my investment back. So that was sweet. And, uh, they, they assumed the rest of the loan and I was free at that point. And then a couple months later, I told my partner that I wanted to exit from this business because I wanted to do my own thing. And then he was just like, you can just you like buy this restaurant off me for X amount, which was like a killer deal. And I couldn't say no to it. So I, uh, I said that I would do this for at least a year. And if I can make this business work for myself in a year, I'll keep it. But if not, I'm going to let it go. Right. And uh, yeah, like, and when I say work for myself, I mean, free up my time so I can spend it with my family, um, not be tied to the restaurant, not be rescuing it every fucking day. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And like I, I've set up the, now I've, I've set up those systems and it's like, you know, I do, I haven't done a service in like two months probably. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you're finding that bit of normal. I mean, there's a lot of value in just whatever you did to get you from that to there. I mean, the partnership issues, the buyouts, the understanding of the, what that means to try to transition into a normal life is, um, you know, it's the goal of a lot of guys. And I think if you can help them do that, that's pretty tremendous. Thank you, man. That's that's really the goal. And like the, the tagline for me is redefining the badass chef. Yeah, that's awesome. So where can everyone find you, social media and otherwise? Just I'm super up. like if, if you Google like Trevor Bird Canada, I'm pretty sure I'll come up. But uh, uh, Fable Restaurant, uh, my Twitter, no, no, no Twitter, Instagram, uh, Chef Trevor Bird. Okay. Um, at Chef Trevor Bird and Facebook, Fable Kitchen, Trevor Bird. Um, you can Google my name. There's enough, enough stuff out there. You can yeah, right. just, <laughs> Google, you then Google map your way me. to the restaurant. Yeah. If you need to find me, you can find me for sure. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, look, you were the first international guest. Sweet. So that's awesome. And uh, I want to reiterate my interest in starting the New York chapter of your, of your thing when you're ready to take this thing global. Yeah, man. I appreciate uh, that. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm sure we'll be in touch. And thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. So good to meet you, man. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I want to take a second here and just remind you that, like I said earlier, my goal is to help 
reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. So what I did is I went on my Instagram and I created a link to my calendar. And if you head there and you click the link in my bio and you scroll down, you'll see that there's a drop down menu there and it says 15 minute phone consultation. So if you're a restaurant owner operator and you just have a quick question, you don't know where to turn, whether it's about operations, whether it's about a startup, how to find money or what to do with this particular server, whatever the case may be, I am there for you. It's a free 15 minute phone consultation and I'm here to help. So if you need it, you know how to find me and continue to listen and support the podcast. I would love if you would uh, share, comment, review, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, and I just appreciate the love and support I've been getting for this. So we're going to keep cranking them out. And if you're interested in being on the show, please hit me up. Best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Thanks so much again, guys.